Show.org, Voices of Resistance and Alternative News from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And this week, our health care remains on the line, as well as our right to clean water, clean air, and our right to live not under the cloud and threat of war. Later in the show, we'll hear voices from a demonstration held outside the White House on Sunday to culminate the inaugural event of the People's Congress of Resistance a gathering that brought together hundreds of activists from around the country to say no to war and U.S. imperialism and yes to a different system that serves the 99% and not the 1%. Also, later, more voices against a slew of new pipeline projects that could pollute and endanger communities across the country and that will only add to the amount of climate-killing carbon in the air. All of that plus Gerald Horn is coming up, As usual, we have a packed show, and we'll start with our headlines. Senate Republicans are working hard to pass legislation that experts say is the most damaging health care repeal yet, one that guts Medicaid and leaves millions uninsured. The bill, co-authored by Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, and Bill Cassidy, Republican of Louisiana, restructures the distribution of federal funding so that states receive block grants or lump sums to allocate as they see fit. Experts say that the bill will also represent several steps backward for women's health by limiting access to Planned Parenthood and eliminating maternal care for 13 million women. A Center for American Progress analysis said that the new plan, which has not been evaluated by the Congressional Budget Office, would mean at least $17,000 more in premiums for pregnancy. While this latest attempt to repeal Obamacare has not yet drawn organized grassroots response like that occurred during the summer, activists did descend on D.C. this week to confront the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission about its continued rubber stamping of fracking projects and new pipelines that are crisscrossing the country. On Wednesday, Delaware Riverkeeper Maya Van Rossum and Citizens Fighting Pipelines were ejected from the agency's meeting in Northeast D.C. You are harming communities. You're talking, you're upset about climate change. You are here today to continue the approval of devastating fracked out pipeline projects, doing nothing, harming communities. 
property rights. You're taking clean water. You're taking our dinner rights. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm worried about our wells getting arsenic in it. Please, please have a right to clean water. Activists say that FERC has virtually never failed to approve a new fossil fuel project, despite vigorous opposition and organizing from impacted communities. There'll be more voices from the action outside FERC this week later in the show. In Black Lives Matter news, the focus has again been on the St. Louis area, where hundreds have taken to the streets to protest the acquittal of former police officer Jason Stockley for killing Anthony Lamar Smith in December of 2011. Here in D.C., on Thursday, mothers of the slain from the United States and Jamaica spoke on a program sponsored by several organizations, including the Stop Police Terror Project. Chantel James has more. Amnesty International, the Coalition for Concerned Mothers, Surge, and the Stop Police Terror Project D.C. came together at First Trinity Lutheran Church for a very moving panel composed of the courageous mothers of young people from the United States and Jamaica whose lives were cut tragically short by police violence. Speakers included Simone Grant, sister of Matthew Lee, who was killed by police in Kingston, Jamaica in January 2013. Shaquilla Jackson, sister of Nakia Jackson, killed by police in Kingston in 2014. Carol Gray, whose son Kimani Gray was killed in New York by police. As well as Beverly Smith, mother of DMV resident Alonzo Smith, who was also murdered by police right here. Carol Gray described the death of her son to those assembled in terms that did not cushion anyone from its brutality. They shot my son down. Eleven shots. Five shots. Connected. Two in his back, two in his legs, and one in his arm. And then blocked off the crime scene. Wouldn't let the ambulance in. Wouldn't let any of the guys that came out here was laying there begging, crying, please help me, please help me. The women spoke out against the corruption that fueled the police departments back home in Jamaica and the police violence they were heartbroken to learn they wouldn't be able to escape in America. From Judiciary Square, this is Chantal James. Thank you, Chantal. In culture and media, Battle of the Sexes is a new movie opening today about the rise of Billie Jean King and women's tennis. Though it may have a made-for-TV quality, Battle of the Sexes is an entertaining narrative about the 1970s emergence of the women's liberation movement in the United States. The marquee battle depicted between King and the ultimate male chauvinist pig Bobby Riggs is a sports spectacle that reveals much about the consumer and media culture in this country, but does not obscure the underexposed histories about the struggle for gender and LGBTQ equality. Now, here are some things happening in and around D.C. The No War 2017 Conference, War and the Environment, is September 22nd through September 24th at American University Katz and Arts Center and will be live streamed at worldbeyondworld.org. That's worldbeyondworld.org. The Baltimore Book Festival is Friday, September 22nd through Sunday, September 24th. And thousands are expected to enjoy Art All Night, a D.C. citywide festival of arts on September 23rd. 
And also on September 23rd, the 8th Pan-Africa Festival at the Silver Spring Civic Center. And finally, a true warrior for the empowerment of women and community has joined the ancestors after a decade-long struggle with breast cancer. Sylvia Robinson founded and operated the Emergence Community Arts Collective near Howard University in Northwest D.C., where she contributed to community revitalization without displacement of longtime residents and founded the annual In Her Honor tribute to women artists and activists. Our deepest condolences to Sylvia's family and fellow friends. And those are headlines and happenings. When we come back, The World Beyond Our Borders with Gerald Horn. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam, and now we turn to what's happening and impacting the world beyond the borders of the United States. And here to help us unpack it all is our geopolitical analyst, the prolific author and activist Gerald Horn, professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. Well, Gerald, for this week, we have to start with Trump's speech at the UN. Here's a clip of what he said. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. So what's your reaction to the speech and what's the reaction of the key leaders that you've either read or heard? Well, I think the late-night comics are the best analysts of Mr. Trump. Uh, Jimmy Fallon of The Tonight Show says that with regard to Mr. Trump's pledge to destroy North Korea, that probably means he wants to be president of North Korea because he's destroying the United States as president of the United States. You may also recall that it was Conan O'Brien when Mr. Trump pledged fire and fury to be unleashed on North Korea He said that according to Mrs. Trump, we shouldn't take it seriously because Donald pledges fire and fury every night, but never delivers. Oh, my God. (laughs) But seriously, folks, uh, I think that this joke is on us. Uh, We're obviously have turned over the nuclear codes to an incompetent dolt. He is threatening the world at an assembly of peace at the United Nations General Assembly. I noticed that a number of the delegates who were watching him did not applaud. Many, in fact, were dozing. But I think we need to be awake to pay attention to what Mr. Trump is saying because 
as the Iranian leader, Mr. Rouhani, said, Mr. Trump is a rogue leader. He is a warmonger, and he's threatening to take his destructive act not only away from North Korea, but next to Iran, which obviously threatens international peace and security. Now, after his speech, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro hit back, uh, calling Trump the new Hitler of international politics. From what you can see, who's winning the war of words and, I guess more importantly, hearts and minds outside of this kind of Western media bubble that we're in? Well, even if you take into account this media bubble that we're in, I find it striking that Thursday's New York Times suggested that Mr. Trump's remarks were bringing sympathy to Iran. And the New York Times has also suggested that by threatening to jump the nuclear deal with Iran, he basically gives North Korea an incentive not to negotiate with the United States because the North Koreans recognize that any agreement they ink with a U.S. president can be jumped by the next president. So I think it's fair to say that Mr. Trump is not winning hearts and minds. And in fact, when we see the results of the German elections in the next few days, we may get a further inkling of the fact that right-wing populism as embodied by Mr. Trump is being rejected, not only south of the border, but increasingly in Western Europe as well. So, you know, as we speak, we still don't know the extent of the horrible destruction and loss of life across the Caribbean and in Mexico following this week's Hurricane Maria and then a major earthquake in Mexico City. And I'm wondering, I mean, are there any mechanisms uh, at the UN or under international law? Have you heard anyone talking about holding fossil fuel corporations responsible in any way for paying for restoration and to, you know, after these kinds of catastrophes? Well, if we had a more creative legal community, the statement that you just made would be embodied in a lawsuit that would be filed in federal court tomorrow. On a more positive note, I think it's important to note that a number of U.S. states led by California are trying to uphold the banner of controlling fossil fuels and trying to hold the United States accountable to the extent they can by adhering to mandates concerning control of fossil fuels. But certainly in light of these environmental catastrophes that we're now seeing and which I experienced in Hurricane Harvey in Houston just a few days ago, I think it's fair to say that Mr. Trump is making a monumental blunder by seeking to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord because it's apparent and evident that climate change is helping to intensify and worsen these storms leading to floods. And I find the most ominous aspect of all of these storms, the fact that Barbuda, an island that has had an African population for 300 years, now has no Africans residing on that island. I think that that's a chilling reminder of what climate change may have in store for the rest of us. You said before this conversation that Pakistan may be threatening to the U.S. militarily. Tell us more about that. Well, this is a, a report that was in the Financial Times of London just a day or two ago. Pakistan is obviously very upset by Mr. Trump's speech on Afghan policy given about two weeks ago. 
where he pointed the finger of accusation at Pakistan, charging Pakistan with harboring the Taliban and others designated as terrorists and thereby serving to undermine the government in Afghanistan. Pakistan is upset by that charge. Pakistan is also upset by the increasing romance between India, its chief antagonist, and the United States of America. Pakistan is no nation to trifle with. It has a population of 200 million. It has nuclear weapons, and it has an increasingly close relationship to China. According to Financial Times, the Pakistani leadership has been suggesting that if Mr. Trump is not careful, he will find the United States under a, quote, terrorist attack, unquote. It's unclear if they were promising to lead that terrorist attack or if they were just suggesting that Mr. Trump's ham-fisted policies would lead to the same. In any case, it's a very dangerous turn of events. Hmm. Well, while there's all this angst, you know, directed toward, you know, North Korea and all these other various statements that uh, Trump is making, the attack on Yemen by U.S. and British-backed Saudi forces was declared this week to be the most dire situation since, like, World War II. And have you seen the U.N. addressing this at all? Um, and maybe our media just isn't reporting on it. And what do you see being done on, on an international level about Yemen at this point? Well, sadly enough, not enough that's being done. Part of the problem is that Yemen has been caught up in Saudi domestic politics. You may have noticed that in the last few days, a number of opponents internally of Saudi Arabia have been detained or arrested. You might also know that the king's younger son, who is in line to become the king sooner rather than later, is leading this charge against Yemen. This Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is also leading the charge against Qatar, uh, claiming that Qatar is trying to destabilize Saudi Arabia itself, which I think is probably an exaggeration at best, but it certainly put enormous pressure upon Qatar, which has responded by tightening its ties to Turkey, tightening its relationships with Iran, which in turn has infuriated Saudi Arabia even more, which has caused it to attack Yemen even more because its major claim is that the Yemen Yemenis that they're fighting are backed by Iran. Unfortunately, the international community has not responded with the kind of determination that one would have expected. And as a result, Yemeni people are suffering with every passing minute. Well, I always ask you about, uh, you know, what other little known news is out there that, you know, we may not hear about again, in our uh, corporate media bubble here in the U.S.? Well, one of the things I noticed, which actually comes out of the corporate media bubble, is a two-page advertisement in the September 28, 2017 edition of the New York Review of Books. It's an attack on the nation of Islam, an attack on Iran, because of Iran seeking to carry favor with the nation of Islam, which, of course, is a U.S.-based organization. According to this article, Iran is betraying is Shia Muslim principles by embracing the nation of Islam. And what's even more disturbing about this article is that it's really stirring up religious antagonism. And in fact, stirring up religious antagonism is one of the central aspects of global politics today. 
You see that with regard to the situation in Myanmar, Burma, with the attack on the Rohingya, where a Muslim minority, which bids fair to unleash a kind of religious conflict in that region between Buddhists and Muslims. You see that in terms of the stirring up religious antagonisms between Sunni and Shia Muslims in the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And now, apparently as part of this attempt by Washington under Donald J. Trump, to destabilize Iran, you see that the Iranian leadership is accused of betraying its religious principles, and in the bargain, they've dragged into the fray a U.S.-based black American organization, the Nation of Islam. It's very disturbing. Now, was this an article or an advertisement? It's an advertisement. It's two pages, very detailed. It features a picture of Mr. Louis Farrakhan and the Supreme Leader. Uh, embracing each other. Uh, it's it's very alarming. I must does it say who purchased it? It does, although I can't recall off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, before I let you go, I do want you to mention you have two new books out. That's right. The Rise and Fall of the Associated Negro Press and media professionals like yourself, I think, would be very interested in this book, not to mention anybody who's interested in what's happened on the so-called racial front, because the book has a critique of this movement towards, quote, integration, unquote, in recent years. And then another book, which will be out in 10 days, is Storming the Heavens, African Americans and the Early Struggle for the Right to Fly, which deals with our relationship with aviation in the first half of the 20th century, including the black American role in helping to found Ethiopian Airways, which is the major carrier on the African continent. And for your L.A. listeners, I'm having a book signing on October 7th at Esalon Bookstore at 4 o'clock with regard to these two pu new publications. Well, we'll definitely we'll follow up with you about the books, uh, you know, definitely when we have the next membership drive <laughs> and find out more about them and get you to maybe read some of the passages from them. Fantastic. Well, I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, prolific author and activist, Gerald Horn. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. was Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder, who performed uh, that very same piece on Saturday at the Celebration of Life for artist and activist Dick Gregory, held just outside D.C. in Landover, Maryland.
Now, Gregory was a champion for healthy eating, clean water, and air. And on Wednesday, activists converged on the offices of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to protest the agency rubber stamping of dangerous fossil fuel projects around the country. Here are their voices, starting with Delaware Riverkeeper Maya Van Rossum. We asked Congress when pondering our request a few simple questions. What good is a federal agency that is simply a rubber stamp for the industry? No good! No good! What good is a regulatory agency that does not hold pipeline companies accountable for violating environmental and community protection laws? No good! What good is a federal agency that helps an industry fuel industry and in their minds there's no stopping anytime soon. But we are here today to prove that it will stop. All of us here today, the young people across the country, we are all speaking in defense of our planet and for future generations to come. I would like to remind us of a short little orange fellow who nobody listened to until it was too late. He once said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Well, we do care. And just as the young boy in that story who planted a singular seed to regrow a whole forest, the voices of other young people are growing too. And unlike that short little orange fellow in the story, we will be heard now. We are still asking who in their right mind would sanction a natural gas pipeline that requires blasting eight feet down into one of the oldest rock formations on this earth or situate that 36-inch diameter pipeline running over 1,480 pounds per square inch of a flammable substance within feet of an active rock quarry that conducts daily blasting. We share the fury of people across this country who have been deliberately and consistently disenfranchised by FERC's protocols. Of course, 14 miles is 14 miles too many, but that's not why I wanted to talk about the DTE pipeline. Uh, it's, it, there's another reason. It's um, one that would connect the Texas Eastern Pipeline that is notorious um, to a natural gas power plant. It would be the only customer of the DTE Pipeline, this power plant in a little town called Birdsboro. Now, FERC will surely approve the DTE Pipeline, even though the Court of Appeals for the District of Col uh, Columbia Circuit recently tossed out FERC's approval of the Southeast Market Pipelines Project for failing to consider climate impacts. The sad fact, though, is that cases like that one set a precedent, but not for FERC's next decision, but for the legal case about FERC's next decision. And we all know that by that time, the pipeline's built. Of course, my group is fighting along with the Delaware Riverkeeper Network against the DTE pipeline, not simply because it would cut a scar through our beautiful countryside and run underneath the Schuylkill River, but because it's emblematic of a problem that is pervasive in Pennsylvania right now. FERC isn't the only problem in Pennsylvania. Our Department of Environmental Protection regularly fails us by taking the side of the industry at every turn. Uh, because my family refused to sign for Atlantic Coast Pipeline to put a pipeline through our land, they took us, they summoned us to court just because we wouldn't sign it. 
we didn't want a, we don't want a pipeline on our farm in North Carolina. Fascism. Okay. So we in Halifax County are faced with the extreme exploitation by Atlantic Coast Pipeline to put a high pressure pipeline through our community of mainly African Americans, senior citizens, and low income. The Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline is not good for Lancaster, it's not good for Pennsylvania, and it's not good for the planet. Why are members of our community opposed to the ASP? Well, first and foremost, we think it is wrong that a board, a group of board members of a large corporation based in Oklahoma have more rights to make money on our properties against our will than we have the right to say no to them. This is a legislative wrong, it is a humanitarian wrong, so we say no corporate rights over community rights. Eminent domain for private gain. There is no legal justification for an industry to claim eminent domain for our properties when the natural gas traveling through this line is slated for overseas sales and admittedly by the industry does not directly benefit Lancaster County nor Pennsylvania in any way. We say no eminent domain for private gain. Danger. Pipelines continue to have accidents across the nation, spilling and exploding, and FERC is willing to stand by and allow us to carry the burden of this threat next to their, our bedrooms, where we and our children sleep, so the industry can satiate their own greed. We say no deaths for corporate greed. 38 miles of mountaintops are set to be reduced along the ACP. Everyone along the walks thanked us for bringing attention to their plight. Some gave us water. Everyone talked about water. Will our wells be contaminated? Will our aquifers recharge area be affected? How will pipelines avoid the aquifers since their underground, underground structure is unknown? Dominion isn't answering these questions. Dominion has no answers. So that's why it's so important we're all here today. We have to tell FERC and Congress that enough is enough. Corporations may have all the money, but in the end, people power trumps corporate power. Yes! The Court of Appeals decided about a month ago that a pipeline that had been approved by FERC needed to go back because FERC, of course, had not done the kind of analysis they should have done in terms of the climate impacts of the pipeline. And there are other legal cases uh, in the courts and more coming. And with that court decision and the state of our movement, um, the state of our activism, the victories that are happening with state regulatory agencies, the more press coverage that's happening, and the spotlight that's being put on FERC, um, we're in a position to keep winning victories. So let's keep going. Dr. King told them this. He said that this battle is not about me, but about the next generation. This battle we have right now, while it impacts us, it is about the next generation. This battle we're fighting right now is not about equality, but it's also about existence. And the one thing that Dr. King let them know, despite all that
sign and all these pipelines, we shall overcome. You've been listening to the voices of activists uh, demonstrating outside the offices of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission this week in Northwest D.C., And right after this brief break, we're going to end our show with voices from in front of the White House participating in the People's Congress of Resistance. They don't have a clue what's going on down here. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is a national disaster. It's awful down here. God is looking down on all this. And if they are not doing everything in their power to save people, Now I see we be the new faces of refugees Who ain't even overseas but stuck here on our knees Forget the plasma TV, ain't no electricity New world's upside down and out of order Shelter the food, what's up, sir? Where's the water? water? No answers from disaster, the masses be hurting So who the f*** they call Halliburton? Son of a bush, how you gonna distrust that cat? The fix when all that help is stuck in Iraq Making war plans, taking more stands in Afghanistan 2,000 soldiers there dying in the sand But that's over there, right? What's over here? There's a noise so loud, some of y'all can't hear But on TV, I know that I can see Bunches of people looking just like me New Orleans in the morning, afternoon and night Hell no! We ain't alright Mississippi in the morning, afternoon and night Hell no! We ain't alright The energy of that march was unbelievable. Parliament from Harvard University to the White House saying stand against U.S. imperialism and ultimately take down U.S. imperialism around the world. And I want to also say while we're here that we are standing in full solidarity with everybody in St. Louis right now, last night, Friday night. The same people, the same people who think the police should be able to murder and kill with impunity in St. Louis, think the military should be murdering and killing all around the world, think that most nations don't have the right to do anything but be under the heel of the U.S. boot. It's the same people, it's the same system, and we can't allow those fights to be separated. We know right now that one of the biggest war dangers that we face is in Korea, where the U.S. government is doing pretty much everything they can to raise the level of tensions. You have senators, you have different people in the administration making comments about tens of thousands of people dying. You got idiots like Lindsey Graham saying, yeah, hundreds of thousands may die, but it'll be over there. You have the unbelievable racist, xenophobic, imperialistic attitude in this country that doesn't just think that countries have to have a similar system to the United States, but that if they don't do exactly what the United States says, they don't have the right to exist. And so right now, we are seeing 
And I think this is one of the most important issues because North Korea has been so demonized in the media. A lot of people think that, well, we have to go in and make it better. We have to fight. They must be a threat. Look at every single country they told you that we had to fight because they must be a threat. And every single one of them, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, have died. The humanitarian situation has become worse, and certainly the threats have not become less to the people there or the people here. It's not about threats. It's not about our lives. It's about the control of the world. We're very happy to still have with us some friends from Korea who came from Korea. I know Hyun Lee is here with us to say a few words. So welcome, please, our friends who have come from Korea to speak to us about this crucial, crucial issue.
Katrina. And we saw dead bodies. And we saw families looking for their babies who had drowned and fled, went away in the river of water. We saw the suffering. And I received a phone call from Cuba, right there in New Orleans. And they said, Gloria, we're a thousand doctors here at the Convention Center of Havana. A thousand doctors with two backpacks each, five emergency hospitals. We have pounds and pounds of medicine. We're ready to fly to Houston. We'll be in New Orleans in five years. We just wait for permission from Bush. And he never gave permission. we can take back with us to deepen the struggle. But to close us out, to close out this ending rally of the People's Congress of Resistance, where we took our resistance from imperialism straight to the doorstep of the White House, is Imam Mahdi Bray of the American Muslim Alliance. Brothers and sisters, we're standing here but we're standing here united. Yeah. Yeah. We're standing here united against imperialism. Yeah. We're standing united here. We're standing against colonialism. Yeah. And we're standing against these criminals. Yeah. These yeah. criminals. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
get my grave yes. and go home to my Lord and be free. Yes. Freedom! You know, look around. Who do you see? Who do you see? Just us will give us justice. Yes. Yes. Just us will give us justice. Just us will give us justice. Fight for it. Fight for justice. Fight for freedom. Yes. Right there, y'all fired up. Okay. Uh, I think that's uh, I couldn't say it really any better than Yvonne Bray. That's a good note to end on. But I just want to say, as someone who's been working on this for like six months, how much I appreciate every single person out here, the people who came just heard voices of those participating in the People's Congress of Resistance. Participants marched from Howard University to the White House Sunday, September 17th, demanding an end to U.S. wars and imperialism. The last speaker was Muslim human rights activist Mahdi Bray, and then organizer Eugene Perrier closed out the event. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. That will about do it for us today, for today's show. I want to thank Gerald Horn and Chantel James for their contributions. The music we played this hour was Lift Every Voice and Sing by Kelly Williams, Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder, and Hell No We Ain't All Right by Public Enemy in Paris. I'm Esther Averam. I'll be at the Baltimore Book Festival this weekend with the crew from the Split This Rock Poetry Festival, Poems of Provocation and Witness, and also on Saturday night at the Made in D.C. Art All Night North Capitol location. You can reach our show at onthegroundshow.org, where you can listen to all of our shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On The Ground Show. Keep raising your voice out there. Peace.